Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Joshua Keppel. He is founding partner at Vasante Sederberg. For those people that don't know, Vasante Sederberg one of the premier leading law firms in the cannabis industry. Unique story, unique background, uh, and obviously I've had a huge impact on how the industry's developed, how the legal process has unfolded. So I'm excited to have this conversation with Josh and just kind of figure out like where, where have we been? Where are we going? What are some of the insights he's had having worked with so many of you know, not only the companies, but the policy makers, the regulators, the legislatures, you know, unique perspective in the, in the world of cannabis. With that, Josh, welcome to the program. Bruce, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a pleasure having you on. So for, for those that don't know Vasante Cedarberg, why don't you just give a, a little bit of background, tell a little bit of your story, background of the uh, firm, and then we can kind of chat a little bit about where the industry you know, has been going and what are some of the big topics these days. But give us the story. Yeah, no, no, for sure. You know, so Vicente Cedarberg, we actually started 
You know, we're going to have our 10-year anniversary this year. We're going to have a, a giant wow. blowout blow party. Everyone was going to be invited, but of course, COVID had, you know, sort of threw a wrench mention things. But we started 10 years ago. Really has Vicente Consulting is, is sort of how, how we started. You know, it was me and my two partners, Brian Vicente and Christian Cederberg. And so we had this goal, you know, well, we were, you know, I was working with Brian and, you know, Brian, we were pushing for, you know, really the first, like, state-based open, you know, unlimited number of licenses, like regulated medical marijuana system. And this is right after Obama said, you know, their AG came out the memo that wanted, you know, they said they were going to grab the cannabis businesses that were in clear and unambiguous compliance with state law. So we pushed for like a state licensing system, a dual licensing system, because what we had before was sort of a house of cards that was about to fall over. And, yeah. and, and when we got that state licensing system, you know, right when we, you know, we saw that coming through the pipe, we formed, you know, what is now Vicente Cederberg. And, you know, and it was, it was a whirlwind, of, you know, <laughs> trying to, you know, trying to get businesses that were operating under the caregiver model to obtain local licenses. And, you know, in the next three months, they could continue to operate under this new bill that came in place. Yeah. And, and literally, you know, just sort of like made things up a little bit as, as we went, you know, so we, you know, advise our clients mm-hmm. what to do in the city of Denver. And then this city of Denver, like passed an ordinance like months later saying like, well, if you followed their advice, it, it was okay. I mean, it was, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it was really, really sort of like the wild west, both in terms yeah. of, of the industry and, you know, and the, um, and the legal profession, you know, just, you know, no one really quite knew what was permitted or what wasn't permitted. It was, yeah. I'm curious, do you, do you see yourselves, or at that point, did you see yourself as a law firm that happened to be focused on cannabis or a cannabis company that happened to be a law firm? Interesting. I mean, I think I saw us as like a, you know, at the time I was like fresh out of, you know, I was fresh out of law school. So I wasn't jaded by the, by the legal profession. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I, you still I had principle and, and big, yeah, big ideas. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought it was a law firm that was, you know, into cannabis, but, you know, we were simultaneous. Like when we launched that, we also sort of started drafting Amendment 64 in Colorado to legalize uh-huh. cannabis for all adults. So we were, you know, sort of building this new industry on the medical side while running, you know, the Amendment 64 campaign with a bunch of our allies, with MPP and DPA and Safer, a bunch of allies, but it was like out of our office. And so, you know, you know, it was kind of a blend of, you know, on one hand, an act, you know, it's like sort of this activist group trying to end cannabis prohibition and then this law firm really, you know, helping businesses navigate literally like, you know, territory that's never been, been navigated before. So I used to say it was you know, our mission at the time was like, how do we you know, leverage capitalism to end cannabis prohibition? Yeah. So this like hybrid, like feel good mission to change the world. Yeah. Do you think if, if cannabis wasn't there, if, if you didn't have this opportunity in cannabis, would you be doing like real estate transactions or something? Or what do you think you'd be doing from a law point of view? Good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I you know I did a lot of work with the ACLU. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a there's a fork in the road where I was like debating like doing p- personal injury work or you know jumping in and you know volunteering at this cannabis nonprofit. So you know, I guess maybe maybe the personal injury stuff, but it doesn't seem that sustainable. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh. I don't know what what it would have been. <laughs> Well, so, so, you know, unique timing. I mean, you know, success is kind of this combination of being prepared and having good timing, <laughs> a little bit of luck. You right. know, clearly you were in the right position at the right time, you know, with the right skills and, you know, the right motivation, right interest to really kind of 
shape this industry, you know, launch it, shape it, you know, evolve it. I mean, I guess, how, how have you seen your role change both individually and as a law firm in the industry as things kind of have evolved and matured and, you know, grown over the years? Yeah, you know, you know, you know early on, I think, it, you know, as like we're sort of, you know, it's like kind of cutting a path through the jungle, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, it's like, you know, our goal is like just to make it through, you know, like uh-huh. less about like, the size of the path or, you know, is it the best path? There's more of like, hey, can we actually make it through? Can we like a, like set in motion cannabis legalization? And so, you know, that was sort of like, you know, the first round of like really just, you're trying to accomplish the what can't be accomplished anymore. And then today it's like, it's not like, hey, can we make it through the jungle? We've made it through the jungle. Now it's like, how should we go through the jungle? Is this like, you know, do we want a paved path? Do we, you know, do we need to make the path wider? Are we actually going to like, you know, float yeah, light on rail. down the river? <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's like, like, how can we do this a lot better? You know, and yeah. so, you know, so and you know, and a lot of sort of activists today, and you know, thought leaders in the space today, have you know, really pushed the envelope in like really fascinating ways and really and really proper ways. Yeah. For example, like you yeah. know, it's like early on, you know, when we were just like wanting to have legal medical cannabis and our goal was like how do we get medical cannabis to sick patients you know there was you know we there's compromises made and one of the compromises was sort of we took in colorado they took the you know they took sort of like the similar structure for gaming licenses and they applied it to cannabis and 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 one of those provisions was in the gaming world was if you had a conviction related to a gaming offense you you didn't qualify for a gaming license and so they took that they took that same provision and just kind of like applied it to cannabis like if you had a felony for for drugs you wouldn't qualify for a cannabis license fast forward to today and it's like in many jurisdictions even in denver need to have one of these convictions to qualify as a social equity applicant. So then you can act. And if you're not a social equity applicant, then you actually can't apply for a license. And so, <laughs> you, know, so you know, just a completely change. And it's like, and it's, it's such a good direction. You know, don't get me wrong. It's like, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're writing the wrongs of like, you know, the war on drugs and just sort of like systemic ra- racism and oppression overall. You know, but it's just, you know, it's such an about face of like, you know, we couldn't fathom that back then because we're like, hey, can we just do the unthinkable, which is making cannabis legal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, as the sort of the market, the industry has matured. How have your services changed? Like, what what kind of specialties, capabilities have you had to kind of bring in as you've expanded the practice? As you know, these companies that you're uh, you know advising that you're servicing, you know, have grown and changed. What what are the what's evolved, and, and what are the things that have become important in terms of um, you know providing legal services to cannabis businesses? Yeah, great question. You know, when it was you know at the beginning, you know, it was just you know me, Brian, and Christian, you know, the three of us, and you know Brian, you know, had experience and advocacy and, and government relations. And Christian was sort of doing mid-market M&A and real estate transactions. And I was just fresh out of law school. And so we were just, you know, we could handle the small transactions. We sort of like, you know, where we were was sort of like where our clients were. You know, there's a lot of yeah, folks exactly. who, who were small, you know, it's like they self-funded, you know, like, you know, really just like, hey, I know how to grow cannabis and I have a dream. Let's make this happen. Um, <laughs> you know, so we sort of like you know, met our clients where they were. And over the years, I think part of our success has been able to like continue to grow with our clients. And so, you know, we've been, you know, strategically like building our corporate practice and, you know, bringing on a lot of corporate attorneys from, you know, from really like big New York law firms, you know, from Goodwin mm-hmm. Proctor or Greenberg Torrig or other 
other firms where I'm skating, you know, it's like there's these big firms where it's like really, you know, just sort of like attorneys that can provide that next level of service, you know, yeah. and that, you know, and that understand the complexities of these larger transactions that are taking place while at the same time, like doubling down on like our specific expertise, which is you know, cannabis regulatory law, um, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, and we've also added on, you know, we've added on trademarks and we've, you know, we've, you know, we've added up, you know, we have very strategic FDA relationships, you know, it's like we've, we've been building, you know, we've been building the team to sort of like build for the future of like adding in the right pieces to like keep growing with our clients. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's always the, the challenge is kind of staying one step ahead of your client needs as you're, as you're both kind of growing and expanding and figuring this stuff out. I'm curious because I talked to a lot of um, you know leaders, founders, CEOs, and, and cannabis companies that are growing quickly, and and one of the big issues is talent. You know, finding enough people who you know can actually join the team to be part of these growing companies, and you know, obviously we don't. You know, we don't have a lot of people with a lot of long historical cannabis experience. So we're, we're bringing in people from other industries. And you mentioned bringing in folks from, you know, these big New York law firms. What have you found in terms of, you know, people that tend to do well in transitioning from, you know, non-cannabis industries into cannabis and ones that don't? Is there any anything that you look for now? Anything that kind of tells you who's going to be able to, you know, make the transition into cannabis? Great question. I mean, you know, it's, I, I kind of find people like fall in two buckets, you know, you know, for us. You know, like our sort of perfect, you know, our perfect, you know, member of the team is someone who does have a passion about cannabis, but also has a very well-defined and well-oiled skill set outside of cannabis, you know, because just of where we are with our institutional knowledge and our really like, you know, really strong team on the campus, we can teach you cannabis. Like we can teach yeah. you, you know, we, we, like we can teach you the regulations. We can teach you the ins and outs of the industry. And, you know, and then, you know, it's like, and then from there, it's like, you know, you, you know, these are other staff members and sort of like tweak the skills they know to apply in this space. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, that's when I, but I've seen, you know, I think like a, like a mistake I've seen a lot is, you know, just from other professionals outside is, you know, you bring in this professional who, who, you know, has that sort of, you know, has this arrogance or charisma to really lead and that confidence, but they don't have the humility to like know what they don't know and to understand that the industry they were in isn't cannabis. Like things are different, you know, and you know, it's not the same as, you know, cannabis isn't the same as, as liquor or, or the beverage and it's not just a CPG company, you know, it's not, you know, it's similar. There's like facets you can take from all these things. We have to, you have to accept cannabis as like a unique industry because it is a unique industry. You know, like you're selling smokable flour, like what other industry, you know, it's, I guess it's similar to tobacco in that regards, but it's not federally Mm -hmm. regulated. Each state's completely different. You know, each city is completely different. You know, it's the big things I think actually, you know, of like the differences of the cannabis industry versus other, other industries is really there's two main things. One is that it's federally illegal, which creates mm-hmm. a whole basket of different issues. Um, banking, insurance, child rearing, you know, there's a you know a whole basket of them. And then it's it's a siloed state, highly regulated state industry, you know. So it's you have each state that's incredibly rate, you know, it's very, very highly regulated and it's a siloed in that state. You know, and, and that's like just such a unique a unique thing compared to like a lot of other industries. You see some in gaming, but still it's like you know, it's like a lot of the gaming machines are transferred, you know, you know, they're yeah. sold, you know, sold across state lines and et cetera. So those are like the main two things. And so for like those professionals stepping 
end, I do think we're in a, in a space where, you know, we're sort of at this spot where it's like seasoned professionals are taking this to the next level. The, you know, the ones that really succeed are the ones that have like a little bit of, I don't know if humility is the right word, but just a little bit of understanding that this that they need to learn something about this particular industry and that they can't just apply, you know, their prior industry knowledge directly to this industry without making any adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And how, I mean, I know one of your original goals in, in forming the firm and doing the work that you're doing is, is really kind of develop the industry, you know, make the industry what it is today. What's your kind of take on where we are, right? We've, we've got, you know, a couple of states now that have, you know, have had programs, both medical and adult use for quite some time. We've got a couple of states, you know, that come on in the last year or two. We've got a couple of states that just passed legislation or just passed ballot initiatives. I mean, what, what's kind of your overall take in, you know, I guess where we are as an industry? What are we still early stage? What's being worked out? Give me kind of your summary of how things have been going and where we are. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's actually a super exciting time, you know, and it's, you know, we've seen more and more states come online. You know, it's like South Dakota passed an adult use legalization measure, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, like if South Dakota is doing something, you know, it's like, OK, you know, it's, it's not just cutting edge anymore. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, you, you, I think you, you've really seen like acceptance of cannabis, poll numbers for cannabis legalization are off the charts. It's really, you know, that become a, a third rail issue. You know, we, we've come to this point in time where it's not will cannabis be legal federally? It's like when and how and and with that, you know, it's like with New Jersey coming online, like New York's short to follow, and New Mexico wanted to push something through their legislature. And, you know, and, and granted, you know, with our state by state framework, there'll still be like Idaho, which is like trying to, you know, pass a constitutional amendment to not <laughs> ever legalize cannabis. Um, it's still bad. <laughs> but, you know, with that said, I think like where we are at this point in time is we're like, we're ending a chapter and maybe even like we're getting close to ending like the first book in the series. You yeah. Know? You know, it's like, you know, we're, we're, we had the trilogy. We're ending, we're ending, <laughs> the Hobbit. This you know, is the end of the Hobbit. We're waiting for Lord of the Rings yeah. to start. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, like pretty soon, you know, it's like, we'll see federal legalization happen. And, you yeah. know, and, and, and I took, you know, I took a poll internally at our firm, you know, very, you know, and not a very statistically sound poll by any means. Um, but, you know, everyone seemed to suggest, you know, the majority of folks seemed to suggest that we'd see cannabis legalization in the next couple of years. You know, that, yeah, okay. you know, that under a, you know, that under a democratically controlled federal government that, you know, you know, that cannabis legalization is very possible, you know, and, and then what does that mean? I think that's like, you know, I think that's like the end of the Hobbit right there. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. the Hobbit's done. <laughs> you know, we're going to wait another like two years for the, the first Lord of the Rings movie, but, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it's like, you know, how, you know, then how long does the industry go, go? It's like, well, I don't ever see the industry going away. So it's like, if the industry, you know, it's like, how long has alcohol been around? You know, it's yeah. like, it's, yeah. just, it's not going away. So it's like, where in time are we? It's like, well, of course we're still at the very beginning because we're only, you know, it's like, well, we're 10 years into maybe a thousand year industry. Yeah. 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 Well, so, and so, so you're, you know, talking about federal legalization. I mean, what, what does this really mean? Because I think that, you know, right now it's a, a schedule one substance, um, you know, so it comes off that list, but that doesn't, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to be able to buy, you know, Humboldt weed and down in the corner on Jersey here, right? Like there's still, there's so much structure, so much state by state kind of policy and everything in place. Like how, what, what's the best guess on 
how this kind of unfolds in terms of actually creating a national cannabis industry? What's your guess? Right. So it's like, you know, you see federal, you know, it's like federal legal. Let's, let's just say, you know, it's like we saw, you know, the Moore Act or some version of the Moore Act pass yeah. it signed by Biden or he just lets it go into law because he's a historic like drug warrior. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's another conversation. But yeah, that's what I passed. Like, 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 like what could you expect to see? You know, like I think what you see pretty quickly is you start to see a lot of in- more institutional money. We're starting to see institutional investors already, but you really start to see institutional money flow in. You know, you see, you know, you start to see like the major exchanges allow, you know, cannabis companies to trade on them. So you might see like GTI, you know, going on some major exchange or, you know, or truly or some of these larger companies like moving to a major exchange. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see all of a sudden banking is not an issue anymore. So, you know, so, you know, it's like a, the specialized banking industry. You, you start to see that, is, like banking. Does that happen right away? Like the moment it becomes illegal, like all of a sudden everyone can bank or is there subsequent policies and things that need to get changed? I think there's subsequent policies, but I think you see a lot of banks, you know, like as soon as it's like, hey, this is no longer a crime. This is not an illegal industry. Then banks, you know, shouldn't have to file you know, different yeah. SARS. You know, should have to file the SARS form. You know, like it should actually like create a pretty good change. Now, does it? You know, does Finson come out with another memo? Who knows? Like, who's yeah. who, you know, who's to say? But I would expect it maybe not instantly, but that start to open up. Mm-hmm. I think you, start, I think you start to see other industries that have been sitting on the sidelines. Like all of a sudden, you know, I could see Visa opening up to mm-hmm. cannabis companies. You know, which then changes all the payroll processing systems, or could. You know, you, you could start maybe like Shopify would, you know, step into the U.S. cannabis space. I think, you know, for the bigger pieces, you know, like interstate commerce, you know, that's going to take some time. Yeah. The thing about interstate. Yeah. Why? So why is it like I couldn't like the moment it becomes federally legal, I can't just get online and, and buy weed and have it shipped by FedEx to be across state lines. So like other things would need to happen before that's actually possible. Well, yeah. So like each state, you know, based off of like, I guess what I said earlier about like the, like the heavily regulated side of states, you know, states don't have a mechanism. So, you know, you know, so, so, you know, some folks are probably saying, well, why would they ever do that? They should protect their own industry in those states. You know, we have like, you know, the dormant commerce clause, you know, of the, of the U S constitution that doesn't allow states to, to limit commerce from other states. So for example, it's like Florida can't prohibit California oranges, you know, just like you can't, it just doesn't, it doesn't work under the dormant commerce clause. And there's hundreds of years of precedent around it. So at some point, these states are going to have to figure out how to allow for the importation of cannabis into their state. Now, what exactly that looks like, do the states require, you know, all products to be at some GMP certified facility? Do they, you know, does the flower have to be tested for X, Y, Z? You know, like what sort of restrictions and regulations around that, you know, are hard to sort of like guess of what each state's going to do. But, you know, it's going to take some time. So it's, and in, in that case, you either need the states to pass laws to allow for the import and states to pass laws to allow for the export. Or you need someone to file suit and then win in court. So you, any of those is going to take a number of years, like yeah. post-federal legalization. You know, so that's going to take some time. I think, you know, there's a, you know, another one I love to, you know, people love to speculate, like, oh, well, so when can I order weed off Amazon? You yeah. know, like, well, can you order alcohol off Amazon? You know, you know, it's like, uh-huh. it, it really, it really, it's going to depend on the state laws. Like right now, 
for the transportation of cannabis in different states, they don't allow any common carriers. You know, they don't allow you just like ship cannabis through the postal service or FedEx. That doesn't, that, that, that doesn't mean people aren't doing it. <laughs> You're not supposed to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, you know, it's not part of our regulated system. So do, you know, does that change? You know, is there like, do you, yeah. you know, do, can we now, can cannabis companies now use common carriers to ship cannabis? Does that reduce the shipping costs of cannabis? I don't know. My guess is I, I would expect it to. And then, and then what does that look like? Or do states say, hey, we still want, you know, specific, you know, we still want specific licensees to, to be able to deliver cannabis. Like, do we, we still yeah. want, you know, Drizzly for alcohol to be applied to cannabis. Mm-hmm. We still want the licensees to hire individuals and, you know, and that's how cannabis is delivered to the, to, to the end user. It's hard to say. I mean, you know, it's, you know, it takes, you know, I think it was like three or four years ago, like we finally were able to like buy alcohol in Colorado on Sunday. Like it takes time yeah. for some of these yeah. laws to go. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I'm curious, what are, what are the big challenges that your your clients are facing right now in the cannabis industry, you know, that, that come up, you know, on a regular basis, given, given where we are? Is this mainly kind of merger and acquisition kind of the stuff? Is this you know, expanding businesses or, you know, what's, what, what are the, what are the things that are kind of most common or, or the, the challenges that most companies are having right now in cannabis? Yeah. You know, if you would have asked me this question, you know, six months ago, it would have been completely different, you know, where it's, you, you know, it's like the challenges of being, you know, essential workers being on, you know, being open during COVID, you know, making sure you have enough PPE, working with employees that, you know, may, you, you know, you know, working with employees that might have, you know, might be in different health states or have different health concerns. You know, it's like a lot of like employment management of being an essential business during yeah. COVID was like, Issue number one, you know, you know, reducing outbreaks at cultivation facilities, manufacturing facilities, and you know, running a retail store, or delivery store, you know, was you know was definitely like like a main issue that and a main challenge for a lot of our clients. But for you know, like moving, not saying that that's not still a challenge, but you know, it's been a challenge they've been working with for a year now, um, or yeah, or, or eleven months, you know, depending on depending on how you how exactly you count and. Um, you know, so yeah, but now it's like, and then there's like a big issue with access to capital. You know, it's like yeah. a lot of you know a lot of our startup clients were having difficulty raising money. Um, you know, a lot of the funds we saw were sort of you know follow-on investments, and you know, and everyone's like looking to you know protect the assets they have as opposed to you know you know as opposed to like help a help a new startup. I mean, even following funds were like a little difficult. Um, with that said, though, it's like I do think we've also like turned a corner. You know, we you know turned a corner on access to capital. I think in part just because we've seen such you know such a rise again, and you know we've seen such, there's such a rise again in the in the in the cannabis public markets, and you know, and because of that, you know, I think it sort of like trickles down and a lot. A lot of people who who were in the red are now back in the positive, at least in their public stocks and. You know, just like, you know, and a lot of just the how expensive equities are and, you know, depending on who you talk talk to, possibly overvalued across the board, not just in cannabis. You know, it's like people have been like looking to, you know, take money out of public equities and put them in, a, in into private deals again. So we're starting to see like more access to capital. So then to actually get to your question, like what's what are the challenges today? You know, it's. You know, I think business, you know, a lot of businesses don't, you know, 
But I mean, I think now it's like, you know, I think a lot of companies are are, are sort of like retrenching and reevaluating and refocusing. And, you know, and I think yeah. that, you know, a lot of the, and this is, you know, it's sort of like what our, what my firm's doing too. You know, it's like, yeah. we're like, hey, you know, it's like we spent the last year in kind of a survival mode. Yeah. Um, no. You know, or, or and if crisis not survival, management. yeah, you know, crisis management, reactionary. And now that, you know, it's like, you know, now that it's like COVID winter is over, you know, and it's like, you know, there's a, a brighter sky on the horizon. You know, everyone's like, okay, now what should we do now? Like, how do we want to be? <laughs> now what? Yeah. yeah. Like, 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 how do we want to be proactive? You know, like, like where, like, like what states do we want to expand into? You know, do we want to like put in a, an application for a license in New Jersey? Do we want to move into Mississippi? You know, do we need to, you know, create a true social equity ar- arrangement and work in, you know, in some of those states? Do we want to wait for New York? Do we want to look at New Mexico? Do we want to, you know, is our strategy, you know, a lot of it's like strategy questions, you know, is our strategy focused on like, hey, we want to be the regionally the best or we want to be in the, in the. So you were just, you were talking about the, um, what companies are doing now and this kind of issue of like, where, where do we go now, now that we've got some breathing space, now that we've got kind of light at the. Right, getting to the end of the tunnel, like where should we go? What should we do? Right, right, right. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's like, you know, the challenges facing our clients, I think is, you know, it's like a lot of it's more, you know, the challenge is like who to be, where to go, what, you know, what is it, you know, now that the, you know, that the reactionary survivalist instincts of getting through COVID and sort of like adapting businesses to sort of this new COVID world. I think everyone's saying, okay, what, what does this look like in the post COVID world? Do we want to like keep focusing on, on delivery? Do we want to, you know, like, do we want to, you know, continue our retail strategy? Do we want to, you know, stay as a regional hub? Do we want to move into these different States, even if they're not geographically close, you know, do we, you know, if, if we anticipate federal legalizations coming, what does this mean for our like 10 year growth plan? And do we do we really need all these facilities in different locations? Um, and, and what size of facilities do we need in, in different locations? You know, there's like a lot of strategic questions, you know, that, are, that have really been, you know, boiling up, you know, in the last, you know, the, the first quarter of, of 2021 here. Yeah. And what do you think COVID did? I mean, I, I, in terms of you know, changing the market or changing the dynamics, you know, how, how are things different now that we've gone through this year of COVID than they, than they might otherwise have been if we not have been through COVID? Like, how, how is this kind of reshaped or what are the new things on the table that companies are now grappling with? You know, with, with COVID, you know, with COVID in particular, you know, it's, um, I believe, you know, and, and, you know, and definitely talk to others. I, you know, I just think you're starting to see like a shifting from stores to brands a lot. Um, I think you're starting to see like more of an experienced cannabis consumer come out of it. You know, I think you've saw, you know, I think you've seen cannabis use increase, but you know, I don't have, you know, the numbers or statistics that are definitely seen sales increase, you know, during COVID. And so, you know, with that, you know, you imagine the spent, you know, more cannabis use as well and a more sophisticated consumer, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, you know, and so, and, and that does kind of shift things, you know, a little bit, you know, to the brand side and, and it varies too, yeah. you know, it's like, it's still like such a state by state market where you still have states that, you know, you had the cannabis consumers in some states, you know, just excited to have legal cannabis flower and then you have the cannabis consumers <laughs> yeah. in California that want, you know, a particular strain launched by cookies, you know, it's like, you know, yeah. you know, it's, 
you know, but you're starting to see, you know, it's like, but the cookies brand, for example, is like, you know, moved to other states and you're starting to see more of these like branded, uh-huh. branded products pop up. And so I think you'll, you'll keep seeing that. I think you'll keep seeing, I think you'll start to see a more, a more and more educated cannabis consumer. I think you'll start to see power shift away a little bit from retail establishments more to more brands. You know, I think people are still going to expect everything to be delivered to them, but that's, that's, that's just the, like, <laughs> the case for the case for all, all CPG industries. At the- exactly. <laughs> Life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I do think, you know, I think it'll take some time, but I think we'll, you know, we'll start to have one of my favorite conversations again, which is about cannabis consumption and what is, how do we use cannabis socially and where are we supposed to use yeah. it? You know, cause you know, it's been interesting because we've, you know, like we've never figured out the where to use cannabis in public question. I mean, we started. Yeah. There's a couple of spots here and there, but because of that, the only place you can actually use cannabis is your home. And then with COVID, everybody's been kept in their homes, and so everyone's been using cannabis. Yeah. And so now the question is like, now that like once we can get back in the, in the public again. Where are we going to use cannabis at, and what does that look like? Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I think I mean originally I was an architect, and I just I've as I've seen this industry kind of unfold. I mean, the whole kind of consumer experience, customer experience, you know, in the dispensaries is you know just so lackluster. <laughs> and and then the fact that yeah, we have we have no you know social place to go and and convene and use cannabis. I mean, it's like you know alcohol is you know everything is about the bar, right? So we're, we're like, how how is this going to unfold? It's just a fascinating question, and I think it's going to be one of the big shifts in the cannabis industry in the coming years as that gets figured out. So I, I, I very much agree with you. Yeah, and, and you know, and there's like you know there'll be a lot of opportunities there. You know, when you when you look at you know alcohol sales, you know you know the on premise sales versus the off premise sales. You know, it's like on premise mm-hmm. consumption of alcohol is like a massive portion of the alcohol industry and. Oh, it's huge. You know, yeah. And what 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 is that going to be when it comes to cannabis? You know, and and, and yeah. but you know, it's like maybe cannabis is something you know that people just actually don't like to do socially, and like people will still use most yeah. of their house. But I don't necessarily believe that. I think a lot of people do like to to pass a joint around if that's ever going to happen again. But <laughs> with some kind of device that keeps us uh, safe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I get it. Josh, this is a pleasure. If people want to learn more about you, about Vicente Cedarberg, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, um, just reach out vicentecedarberg.com. I'm Josh at Vicente Cedarberg. And feel, feel free to shoot us an email. You know, it's like we love, um, you know, we love representing, you know, the best of the best in the space from, you know, not large multinational corporations to small mom and pop growers to, you know, aspiring cannabis bar owners and social equity applicants, you know, it's like we really, you know, really do pride ourselves in, you know, having a deep, deep understanding of the cannabis regulatory environment and, and how to get people from, you know, from an idea to a successful exit. Yeah. Excellent. I'll make sure that all that information is in the show notes so people can click through and get that. Josh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Bruce. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.